All right, well, uh, if you are here, you're hearing me talk, uh, congratulations on surviving another year on the planet. Let's go ahead and give ourselves a round of applause, right? <clears throat> All right, and uh, this, is, this is becoming more and more a hostile place to exist. I get that. I think we all feel it. Um, I was remembering this past week that living in the New Testament, living the Christian life according to the New Testament is to be done with a wartime mentality. There's so many New Testament allusions to that, to be soldiers or to press on and to fight the good fight, to take up the weapons of our warfare. Like living the Christian life on this planet, you have to have this wartime mentality. So good job uh, being here, all right? There's no small feat to make it through another year. And so I'm, I'm honestly, I kind of said it facetiously, but I'm saying with all sincerity, I'm saying with, with all sincerity, good job, Good job making it through this last year. For those of you online, good job. Way to make it, way to persevere in a hostile environment on the planet. Good job making it here today. For those of you that are here in the service at this worship gathering, this is where you ought to be and need to be. So I just want to, I want to say that with all sincerity, good job in making it this last year. I know that this is a hostile place. I know that life can be very hard. I know that life can be confusing, and I know that life can be frustrating. It can be painstakingly slow at times. That's what life is like here. So if that has been somewhat of your experience this last year, then what you have experienced is normal. So don't think that you're the only one that had a rough year. For those of you online, don't think you're the only one that's had a rough year. What you've experienced, if you've experienced some of that stuff, what you've just experienced is normal. It's normative for the planet. And I was thinking about this. When you look at pictures of the globe from space, it looks so peaceful from a distance, right? But then you zoom in and you start to see that those swirls of white on the planet are really storm clouds, that can produce gale force winds or bring wind or rain or hail or lightning strikes, floodwaters. And then once you reach the surface of the planet, there's volcanoes, there's earthquakes, there's landslides. The scriptures tell us that the creation itself is groaning. So although from a zoomed out distance it looks so peaceful and tranquil and calm, it's just not so when you swirl in and when you go in. And if you zoom in even closer, you can notice things that are difficult in our very homes and towns and schools and our social settings and even our church as well. Interpersonal problems are swirling about. Violence, wars, name calling, people that lie to us, People that have to battle their addictions or the addictions that their loved ones have. Social shunning, bullying, spouses giving their spouse the cold shoulder, kids disrespecting their parents, parents exasperating their kids, crime, injustice, lazy workers, overbearing, unrealistic bosses, family members that are estranged from one another, not speaking to one another, not even living in the same house anymore, People breaking into cars, leaving cars up on blocks after parts are stolen. That's what happened to my neighbors this last week. Like, it's just, this is the planet. That's the planet. And I also know that there are so many people sick right now. Chest x-rays, breathing treatments, special trips to urgent care clinics after days of sleepless nights, 
fevers, ear infections, feeding tube infections, broken down bodies, hips, and knees that need to be replaced, cancer that was in remission that's now back, people dealing with crippling back pain on a daily basis, tremors from Parkinson's, dementia, strokes that have slurred speech, strokes that have inhibited movement and hindered work. So I think we can all easily agree with the Apostle Paul when he tells the Corinthians, the believers, that the outer self is wasting away. He says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Not only the, the creation is groaning, but we, when we're existing in this tent of a body, we groan too. And yet, we can zoom in even further and we can all go all the way to our individual heart levels and we can see that there's problems there as well. It's not just outward and it's not just external, but it's actually inside of us as well. It's not Houston, we have a problem. It's Houston, the command center of our lives is the problem. All of our ambitions, our desires, our emotions are all out of proportion so many times and so out of whack. All is not calm, all is not bright, often in our raging, darkened hearts. And so here we are, at the end of another year, getting ready to cross over into the threshold of a new one, and we must be wondering if anything will be different this year. Will anything be different, or is it just going to be the same old, same old? Is this what I'm just going to have to deal with, if that's what's normative for the planet? And if you're like me, you come to this day, and even if you're just reflective for just a moment, you and I might recognize that this life would probably be a little bit better if we changed a bit. In all honesty, most of the time, I'm tempted to think that if everybody around me just changed a little bit, my life would be better, right? But on this day, on New Year's Eve, when seemingly the whole world is making resolutions left and right, I and we sometimes tend to get a little bit more honest in our self-reflection, and honesty is always what? The best policy. And so maybe you and I are itching to be different this next year in some area of our life, but will we be any different? That's the question. How? And this is the encouraging word that I want to bring to you today. Now, this is exclusive for Christians I'm not assuming that your attendance in this worship gathering means that you are a born-again Christian actively following the Lord Jesus Christ. So this message is exclusive for Christians that are really following Jesus. But this is what I want to say to them, to us in the room, and for those of us that might not be Christians, this is your time right now to repent and turn and put your faith in a mighty Savior who is able to move mountains. We just sang about it. You can do that right now. And this message can be 100% applicable to you as well. But you must come to Jesus, confess your sin, and say, look, I have messed up, and I need to change the way I'm going, and I want to start following you, and Jesus will forgive your sins. He already died on the cross for you, doesn't need to do it again, and that death can be applicable to you today. So this could be for everyone in the room. But for right now, I'm only talking to the Christians here today. And I have some very good, exceedingly encouraging news for you. If you are a Christian here today, listen to this. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you are alive in Christ Jesus. 
You were once objects of God's wrath and you were his enemy, but now you are the object of his loving affection and you are called his friend and you have been adopted into his family. The old has passed away and the new has come. And I say these things to remind you of the exceedingly good news that you actually can change. Change is absolutely possible. It's already happened in massive, monumental ways in your life. So change is possible. The essence of Christianity is that you don't have to stay the same. In fact, if you are a Christian and you're actively walking with the Lord Jesus Christ and keeping in step with his spirit, you can't and you won't stay the same. A fundamental change at your core of who you are has already happened. And that gospel seed that's planted deep in your heart will continue to sprout and to germinate and to spread over every aspect of your life. That's what it means to follow Christ. Change is absolutely possible. The essence of Christianity is about transformation and spiritual formation into the very image of the one human being who walked on the earth and never did anything wrong. He stewarded his humanity perfectly, and his is the image that we are being formed into. Jesus Christ is the mold that we are being pressed into, and since this is the essential element of Christianity, then that means that God wants you to change too. And if God is for that, then who can be against it? Amen? Hear this. He who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it. And so that leads me to believe that change is not only possible, but change is actually expected. So change is possible and expected. And God is for that. And right after talking about how we corporately make up the temple, the body of Christ, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. That's what your life is to look like. To bring that holiness to completion by reverencing who our God is. And having a deep respect for what he has offered you, you who were once his object of his wrath, but now adopted in, called his friend and family. So change is possible, and change is expected. And if you and I are allowed to wake up tomorrow morning in 2024, we will have been graciously given another day on this earth by God in order to bring our holiness to completion day by day. No days off. The goal, the purpose, the reason for every 24-hour time period of your and my existence on earth is that you and I are to progressively, incrementally change from one degree of glory to another. That's why you're here, to change. 
to transform. And you've been empowered to do that. So Paul writes the Romans and he says this, very familiar verses. You guys know these verses. And yet Paul still appeals to the people. He makes an emotional appeal and he says, I appeal to you, you believers. Brothers, by the mercies of God, because he's been so merciful to you, I'm appealing to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. It's your spiritual worship. So don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. If you want that good, acceptable, perfect, then you better renew your mind. You better get in this process of transforming. And many of you have probably realized this before, but just in case you've never been taught this, here's one Greek word that's easy and it's helpful and it's really fun to kind of memorize. The word is this, metamorpho. Say that with me, metamorpho, all right? Or metamorpho my is what we'll see in the text. Metamorpho, what does that sound like? Thank you, thank you. It sounds a lot like metamorphosis, right? So think of a caterpillar curling up into a cocoon and then eventually emerging from the cocoon as a beautiful butterfly. A transformation has taken place. A metamorphosis has manifested itself in this little creature. This creature that used to crawl now has the ability and responsibility to fly. From crawling to flying, something a little icky, gross, right? Caterpillars, some people like them, fuzzy wuzzies. To something that's beautiful and flying. Why? Because of a transformation, a process that's taken place. An inward change has taken place that has affected everything on the outside as well. That is the Christian life. Transformation and renewal on a day-by-day basis. So listen carefully. Listen. Throughout the entire duration of our pilgrim walk on this earth, we are to change. That is Christianity. It's about changing. It's about transforming from one degree of glory to the other, being pressed into the mold of Jesus Christ. So here's the message that I'm hoping will ring in my ears and all of our ears as we head into 2024. And this is what I sense the Lord has been saying to me in my personal life, probably over the last 10 to 14 days, I've been thinking about this. And I feel like this is what the Lord has been saying to me. Nothing will change if you don't. I've been praying and thinking about this, and that's the phrase, nothing will change if you don't. And to make it personal and individual for all of us, here's the thought. Nothing will change if I don't. 
We gotta personalize that and individualize it. And maybe that's what the Lord is saying to you. Maybe it's personal for you, but for all of us, it's like nothing will change if I don't. Nothing will change if I don't. It's such an empowering sentence because it places the burden of responsibility entirely on us and not dependent upon anyone else to do their part. Nothing will change if I don't. So do you guys remember the definition of insanity? All right? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting what? Different results. Well, by that definition, I did something insane this last week, all right? Now, we've had a couple crazy weeks with various illnesses present within each family member of our household. It's honestly been really, really rough. There's been a lot of sickness, a lot of sleepless nights, trips to the doctor, urgent care center, x-ray facilities, pharmacies. I was joking with somebody this past week that our Christmas presents to our kids was co-pays for doctor visits and prescription drugs and chest x-rays. Merry Christmas. So it's been pretty intense lately in the Clark household, and we can trace it, but we've had a lot of people sick since the beginning of December. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all that nerve-wracking drama and uneasiness and sleepless nights, the other night, our refrigerator started beeping at us, okay? I think my wife said, you've got to be kidding me. So in the midst of a, of a cascading chorus of coughs, our refrigerator was indicating to us that something wasn't right with it either. Come on, man. Now, it started beeping shortly after I opened it and I closed it, and I accidentally leave the door open a lot, but not that night. I really did close it. But Suzanne did snarkingly and accusingly ask me, what did you do? (laughs) And I snarkily and with a bothered tone said, I opened it, I closed it, you know. (laughs) So I opened it and I closed it and then it started beeping. And so I was like, okay, well, whatever. So I opened it and I closed it again, thinking that maybe something was just off with the system. And I think I stepped back and I crossed my arms and I waited a few seconds. And then the silence was pierced with that annoying beeping sound again. And so with exasperation, I opened it, and I closed it. I stepped back and waited for a few seconds, and guess what? Beep, beep, beep. And I think that's when Suzanne said, you got to be kidding me. I think that's when it was, she said it. And so I opened it up. I moved things around a little bit, and then I closed it, and I confidently stepped back. I literally put my hands on my hips, you know? And I waited to be greeted with that silence. However, after a few precious moments of absence of noise, beep, 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 we did this five or six times. We did the same thing over and over again, and we kept getting the same result. We were insane. We were really tired, too. We did get it to stop, however, You know what we did? We turned the beep mode off. (laughs) We silenced it, right? And we decided that we'll get to it on a different day. 
here's the crazy thing is like, it's actually now working, so I don't know what happened. I think maybe God just healed our refrigerator <laughs> so he could prove his dominance over his creation and maybe heal our bodies as well. So we find ourselves here on this last day of this year and we're on the cusp of a new one. And honestly, maybe warning sensors might be beeping at us. Hey, there's a problem. Hey, there's a, there's a problem. Beep, beep. Hey, pay attention to me. Something's not right here. But year after year, we have no plans to do anything different. That's insanity. And so maybe this is your first time at church, you know, you show up at church on the last day of the year and your pastor calls you insane, <laughs> you know, I joke about that. But we have to do some things differently. Or we might not really want to invest the time or the energy into fixing that which is really wrong and we just try to turn the sensors off, so to speak. We try to numb our own conscience with all sorts of stuff come the new year, but it won't fix the problem. Listen, just ignoring things and not doing anything, doing nothing, and crossing your fingers while hoping for better results after not changing anything at all is not going to fix anything in your life. It's just not gonna cut it. So what will cut it? What will fix our problems at a motivational level so that we can actually change this year? Many of us have many legitimate desires to make progress in our lives. Like if we look over the landscape of our lives, we'll say, yeah, I'd like to be different here, here, and there. I agree that if these things, whatever these things are, if they changed for the better, that would be good. That would be categorically good. So let's think for a moment. Think about your marriage if you're married. Think about your parenting if you're a parent. Think about your walk with God. Think about you as an individual. Maybe you want to control your emotions differently this next year, not be given over to anger or continual sadness. Maybe you've grown accustomed to living constantly defeated or trapped in a pit of despair and you throw a daily pity party for yourself that you invite everyone else to. Maybe you want to change for your incessant desire and tendency to always shift the blame for your actions to everybody else. Maybe you want to progress in your physical health or be on a healthy, consistent diet and exercise regimen that will allow you to feel more comfortable in your skin. And you don't do this for vain reasons, but for godly ones. People, we're embodied souls. So taking care of our bodies is really, really important. Maybe even step number one for some of you. Some of you come here in the middle of a year and you say, I want to be a better student. Or some would say, I want to be a better employee or a better employer, a better neighbor, a better classmate, a better teammate, a better sibling, a better grandparent. Some of you say, you know, I want to take my ministry more seriously. I want to do Awana ministry better. Or I want to start. We need help in Awana. We have a lot of kids. 
We have a lot of kids, and we need Awana leaders. Maybe you want to be better active participant in your life group, et cetera, et cetera. There are so many areas in our lives that we want to grow in, so how are we going to do that? And here's the answer. In order to change, we need to have a proper response to grace. I can't wait to show you this passage of scripture. We're only going to be in it for like a few minutes, but this will change your life as we open up to Titus chapter 2. In order to change, we need to have a proper response to grace, to the grace that's been offered us. Let's look at it. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. There's so many things that could be said from this passage of scripture, and we're just going to key on one element. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God, I pray that you'd add a blessing to us now as we just take the next five or so minutes to think about this, what a proper response to grace looks like. God, would you bless us as we seek to obey this word? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at this passage. A proper response to God's revealed grace is the means by which we are changed from one degree of glory to another. God's grace has always been and will always be the causative agent for change. If there is any change that takes place in your life, we must give credit to where credit is due, and it's all due God's glorious grace. Grace is the causative agent for your life to change. Look at what God's grace has done, and look at what it's capable of doing. Look at this. God's grace appeared, redeemed, and purified us. Look at Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. I love this. This is really amazing. This is beautiful writing of Paul. What we have here is some sort of reverse personification. If you're a literature person, right? Personification is when you attribute a personal nature or a human characteristic to something that is non-human. It's like when you try to take something that's abstract and represent it in human form. So we could say the wind was howling the other day. Or if you had like a big meal, you say that last piece of pie was calling my name. So you took it, right? You take something abstract, you sprinkle a little human characteristic on it, and voila, out comes something that is not abstract anymore. It becomes more known. Well, here we have the reverse of that. 
Paul is going to grab this very known person, Jesus Christ, and liken him to the somewhat abstract concept of grace. And this should floor us. Because what he's saying is, Jesus is the embodiment of God's grace. When you look at Jesus, what you're really seeing is grace in action. The word that Paul uses is charis. God is unmerited in his kindness. It's an unmerited kindness shown. A favorable attitude that's expressed. God's kindness and his favorable attitude expressed to us. Grace is the free work of God to do for us that which we could not do for ourselves. And all of this, even though we didn't deserve it. God is teeming with and overflowing with grace. He's not just hoarding it up for himself. He wants to lavish us with it. And so he sent Jesus to do for us what we could never do in a million years or even for a millisecond. Make ourselves appear right before God. You and I can't do that. We need grace. And thankfully, Paul tells us that grace has appeared. It epiphanied is the word. This is what we just took a whole month to celebrate and anticipate as we made our way through the Advent season. That word epiphany points to a specific point in time when Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us, as the Apostle John says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the Father. What was he full of? Grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace. Jesus is the embodiment of God's grace. Grace in human form. The grace of God didn't evolve in history. It came at just the right time in history when Jesus was born. And it continued to mature over the course of his life and it found its fullest expression when he took our place on a cross that we deserve to die on. And that grace brings us salvation and it redeems us and it purifies us. Look at verse 14. Jesus the embodiment of God's grace, who brought with him salvation, gave himself, why? For us to redeem us from our lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus gave himself willingly in obedience to the Father's plan that included a horrific death, a death that we deserve to die. You and I deserved eternal conscious punishment and eternal separation from all that we were created to joyfully experience. We couldn't do that. So the 14th century Italian poet Dante writes Dante's Inferno and says this, abandon all hope, all ye who enter here. That's what we deserved. Abandonment of any type of hope if you enter into an eternity of hell. That's where we were supposed to end up. 
But God's grace showed up, took our already purchased ticket stub to enter an eternity of hell, and then he tore it up as the body of Jesus was ripped and torn on our behalf. And then in that place, he places a redemption ticket in our hands, turns us around, shows us a promised land where there's fullness of joy with pleasures flowing forevermore at the right hand of the Father and says, guess what? You're free to enter. He gave himself for us to redeem us and to purify us. And in light of that redemption, and in light of that purification, we are transformed at the heart level. That's the level where our motivations reside. So will you be any different this year? Well, the question is, do you want to be? Because if you want to be, yes. And if you don't want, you won't. He's brought that liberation to you. Because look at this, I love this. At the level where our motivations reside, we have been changed. Look at what it says, key word. Not who do good works, but who are zealous for them. All of a sudden, it's like, yeah, I'm going for it. I'm wanting to change. I've been redeemed. God wants to purify me. He is all in on that. He gave his son to do this. It's by an extension of his grace. And so I'm in too. I will be different this next year. I love it. I'm zealous. I'm just obliged to you. I have to do this. No, I want to. Humans always do what they want to do. The application of the tangible grace of God changes us at the causal core. And all of a sudden, we don't just feel an obligation to change things about our lives. We actually become zealous to do them. So actually changing is a proper response to God's grace. That's the proper response is to actually change, to be transformed And we want to join God in that purifying process for his glory. We're a people of his own possession. And so we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to him. And we are people of his own possession. And since we no longer belong to ourselves, we get zealous about doing that which we were purified and purchased to do. And you say, well, what things? Well, these types of things go back in the verse. God's grace trains us to say no to the wrong things and yes to the right ones. This is where your relationship with Jesus becomes intensely personal every 24-hour time period on the planet. God's grace teaches you to say no to the wrong things and yes to the right things. Look at it, verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and then in that place, after we say no to that, we say yes to this, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Many of you would say, you know, I'd like to not do so many ungodly things. I would like to like not just live for worldly passions. It would be better for me if I was self-controlled, upright, and lived godly. 
in this present age? Well, God's grace teaches you to say no to bad things and yes to good things. God's grace isn't just to get us to the age to come. It's to work its causative and transformative power in this present age, this next year. Your life, if it's encountered the grace of God, should and will look different this time next year. Year after year, as time goes by, God's grace teaches us to say no to bad things, yes to good things, and we actually desire the good over the bad. It makes us zealous for good works. So here's the thing. Christian, at the very end of 2023, please recognize this. Grace has brought you safe thus far. And grace will lead you home. And when you've been there for 10,000 years, you will still have ample reason to praise God for his glorious, transformative grace. And you can do that now, in this present age as he's caused us to be born again and to walk in a whole new way. Let's pray. God, we desperately need to be people that live in light of your grace. And God, as we engage in this one last worship song and we recognize the many different reasons for which we can sing, the main reason is because you've been so gracious to us because you have been so gracious to us, your people. Your grace is the causative agent for all of our life change. And God, you gave yourself to redeem us and to purify us. And your grace has allowed us to become people of your own possession and to say no to wrong things and right, or yes, to right things in this present age. So that tells me that you are all for our lives to look different in this next year. And maybe we've tried and maybe we've failed time and time again, year after year, but this year can be different because of your grace. And God, we have good reasons to sing for the hope that we have because our hope has a name and it's Jesus Christ. He came to save his people from their sins. So God, encourage us this day as we finish with this one last song of worship and praise of your glorious grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.